I want to start off uh, really by asking you a question, a question maybe you've never been asked before. Um, do you smell like Jesus? Do you smell like Jesus? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but our anchor passage today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 14. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Have you ever wanted to smell like someone? Uh, in, in the years that I've worked uh, with youth, I've never had a student come up to me and say, you know, I really want to smell like you when I grow up. Um, nor have I ever expressed that uh, same desire to someone else. Probably not a common aspiration for most people, but in this case, maybe it should be. Uh, so I want you to think back to your childhood. Uh, try to think of your fondest memory from a child. Do you remember, in that, in that memory, do you remember what that person was wearing? Maybe you do. Uh, do you remember their exact words? Uh, maybe partially. Uh, but what about smells? What about smells? You know, growing up, my family and I used to eat at my grandmother's house every Sunday afternoon. My cousins, aunts, uncles, we would all gather and we would have a big Sunday lunch. And while the menu changed ever so slightly each week, I could always count on four staple items. And so I'm, I'm going to prepare you if, if lunch is coming, so you may be hungry, and this is not going to help that out much, but um, we had four staple items. First was mashed buttered potatoes, like the real deal mashed potatoes, not instant potatoes. Uh, we had black eyed peas. They were from the can, but uh, we had brown and serve rolls, and then we had fried chicken, fried in Crisco in a cast iron skillet on a gas stove. So it was, uh, it was awesome. But anyway, the combination of these four aromas was very distinct. I could smell it as soon as we drove in to the driveway and got out of the car. I could smell it out in the front yard. You could smell it. It was in the walls. It was in the furniture. It was, I mean, when you left, you smelled like those things, right? So to this day, even either combined or separate, if I smell any of those things, I'm instantly brought back to those Sunday afternoons that I spent at my grandmother's house. And so this phenomenon is not all uh, uncommon. Uh, you see the, the olfactory gland, the gland that gathers and sorts and delivers scent, is connected directly to the two parts of the brain that process emotion and memory. This makes the sense of smell arguably more impactful long-term than any of our other senses. So do you think it was a coincidence that Paul describes our walk with Christ and the teaching of the gospel in these same terms? I don't think it was. 
In the New King James Version, he says, God diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. We are the fragrance of Christ to God. We are supposed to smell like Jesus. Now, to some, that smells great. To those who know him and connect with that smell, that smells awesome. It smells like home. It smells like peace. It smells like liberty, freedom. It smells like salvation. It's the aroma of life. To others, however, not so much. The fragrance of Christ doesn't connect with them because they have no memory to connect that with. They have no experience with Christ to connect that with. Without that connection to Christ, that smell is unfamiliar. It's an unpleasant odor that can only be described as the aroma of death. You ever walked in a place and said, ooh, what died in here? All right. That's what life is without Jesus. It stinks. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. So how do we become this distinct, recognizable smell, the aroma of life leading to life? How do we smell like Jesus? You know, we sometimes ask ourselves, well, what would Jesus do? Well, maybe in this situation, have we ever stopped and asked ourselves, what would Jesus smell like? All right. Paul gives us three ways in this passage that can help us become the fragrance of Christ in this world that reeks of death. It's by being sincere, sent, and seen. Now, before we get into these three, let's back up a little bit, take a little bit of context, as we always should. Paul is writing again to the church at Corinth. He's defending his apostleship. There are some in the church that are trying to uh, undermine him, sowing seeds of doubt, saying, uh, questioning Paul's authority, questioning um, subsequently his message. And now, if this only affected Paul, Paul probably wouldn't have a, you know, wouldn't be a big deal to Paul. Paul's not one of those guys who was worried about what people really thought about him. Uh, but in this case, they were questioning his apostleship, the fact that he had a hand-delivered message and mission from Jesus himself. So this was more than a personal attack. This was a, an attack on the gospel, the gospel message itself. And Paul was not having any part of that. So he spends the first few chapters explaining his ministry and message. And our anchor text sits somewhere kind of close into the middle of this explanation. In verse 17, we see Paul tells us what they were not doing. You know, you ever have that talk when you're a kid with your, with your mom or your grandmother? And they say, okay, listen, this is what you're not going to do. All right? That's kind of the, the attitude that, that seems to be the tone here. He says, we are, not, we are not peddling the word of God. So think about like a street vendor. They're selling like these knockoff products. They're not the real thing. They look cool. But uh, they're, they're underpriced, but even at that good, you know, that good price, that deal, they're still not, it's still above their true worth, right? They're really not worth much at all. They're just, uh, you know, peddling these things. And Paul says, we are not hustlers, we're not tricksters, we're not swindlers, uh, we're not looking for an opportunity to make a buck off the name of Christ. We are, we are proclaiming the word under these three qualifications, with sincerity, with the confidence of knowing that we have been sent by God, 
and with full realization that God is watching over what we're doing. This is how we are to proceed in our ministry. This is how Paul was proceeding in his ministry. Now, this first, the sincerity Paul speaks about, it brings with it a sense of dependence. If I'm sincere about something, you know, I have placed my trust in that thing or that person Trusting the value stated is settled. It's real. It's legit. Uh, I'm depending on its sustained worth. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19 says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Here he warns the church at Colossae of basically the same thing. Don't get hustled. Don't get tricked. Hold fast to the head, the cornerstone, the real thing, Jesus Christ, to which everything else is connected and dependent upon. If we look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Sincerity can simply be described as a commitment to the integrity of the gospel. When our focus is on the cross, when our focus is on Christ, then our words and our actions will follow. Sincerity is vital. If I'm trying to convince you of something that's important, but you don't hear the excitement in my voice, you don't hear or see the confidence in my body language, how apt are you to believe that that thing is important as well? You know, it works the same way with the gospel. Our sincerity for the work Christ completed on the cross should be heard in our voice. It should be seen in our actions. But I want you to understand, too, sincerity alone does not fit the bill. Sincerity does not equal right. Sincerity alone does not equal truth. Sincerity alone can be quite destructive. This is actually a big problem in our culture today. Our culture has taken sincerity, meant to be a component of a well-built argument or, or persuasive uh, presentation, and has made it the sole foundation. If I am truly sincere about something, if I really feel strongly about it, this is what our culture tells us, it becomes my reality and must become yours. Now, who are you to tell me that I'm not right? How can you question my sincerity? It becomes no longer about absolute truth, but it's about our emotions and how I feel. Even if it makes absolutely no logical sense and everyone knows that it's disconnected with reality, hey, I think... I still feel really strongly about it, so that must mean it's right, right? That's what our culture tells us, but here is what Paul has to say about that. Romans chapter 10, verse, starting with verse 2, it says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law, excuse me, in the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You know, Paul's speaking to those in Rome who wanted to, you know, bring back the law and include that in their salvation. And who was more sincere and passionate, especially about the law, than the Jews? Who used to be a leader among the Pharisees 
the Jews that championed the law above everything else, who could understand more about having sincerity but without Christ than Paul? You know, I'm sure that Paul spent many a night looking back in regret for his misplaced sincerity. If we look back at our anchor text, Paul says in verse 14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Sincerity without knowledge of Jesus is useless. Sincerity without the gospel is just noise. Our state of settled dependency, our sincerity, rests in Christ and Christ alone. Next, Paul reminds the church at Corinth who sent him and the other apostles. He says, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. You know, sometimes uh, my kids get to bossing each other around. Uh, You know, they want to, you know, do this, do that, go get this for me, stop doing that, stop doing this. Uh, most of the time, neither one of them really pay attention or to each other, neither really do what the other asks. But uh, however, there are two words that can change that drastically. Mama said, or sometimes daddy said, but usually mama said. And so why, why is that? Why does that change? Because those words carry some authority. Now, the messenger has been sent with a particular message That requires a response. Paul was telling them, we are not working out of our own accord. This ministry is not really ours. We are ministers of another. Our message is not really ours. It's the message of another. We were sent. We were called. We were commissioned. And so are each one of you. Make no mistake, we are all called to the ministry. If you have a saving relationship with Christ, you are called to preach. And before you get too worked up about that statement, let me clarify, we are all sent out by God. All are not called to specific ministries or even qualify for them, vocational ministries and pastors, etc. But all are called to preach the gospel. If we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And one of the side effects, one of the byproducts of being reconciled with our maker is that we want to see others reconciled as well. We are called through our own reconciliation through Christ. You know, Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. 
ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Our lives are a message about God, from God, on God's letterhead. Paul says we are living letters. Have we considered lately what we are writing? Now Paul goes on to say in verse 4, says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. God has trusted us with his message, and we should take that commitment seriously. Now, lastly, we look at uh, what Paul talks about being in the sight of God. It says, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now, this is not this idea of like a, a boss uh, kind of staring over your shoulder, just waiting for that moment for you to mess up, uh, just that kind of pressure. It's really not what we're looking at here. The Greek word for inside of uh, means directly opposite of or face to face. So Paul's painting a picture of looking God in the eyes, focused on all that he is and not all that's going on around us, focusing in on Christ himself and the work that he did on the cross. You know, have you ever had a child that hurt themselves? You know, when, when Anna was little, like real little, uh, she had this uh, situation uh, called nursemaid's elbow. And so some of you may have heard of that. I had never heard of it at the time. But basically, the condition is when she was younger, her ligaments in her arm were loose. And so sometimes those ligaments in her elbow would pop out of place. And so it was very uncomfortable, uh, painful. She wouldn't really move her arm or anything. But the only thing that you could do to fix that was to, to twist her arm out and then push it up and pop it back into place. It was very painful. And she's like two. So it was not a pleasant experience to have to deal with, but we had to do it. If it was left out of place, it would have been way worse. But what would happen when I had to do this, I'd tell her, look at me. Look at me. Don't look around you. Don't look at your arm. Don't look at what's going on. Look me in the eyes. And there's something about that comfort of looking into your dad's eyes where she knew that it was going to hurt, but when it was done, I was going to be there to hold her. Right? And that's the same thing that we have with our Heavenly Father. Philippians chapter 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with gratitude, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Knowing we are in the sight of God, in his loving stare, if you will, should give us the confidence to walk through this sinful planet with boldness and assurance. We know that no matter what comes our way, we are in the sight of God in Christ. Paul also says that we speak in the sight of God. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 107, and I use it in a number of my sermons, but it's really kind of like my own personal prayer. When I'm discouraged, when I'm scared, when there's something going on that I don't understand, I don't really know what to do or say, 
I go back to this psalm. You know, the modern English version translates it like this. That's Psalm 107, verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord speak out, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You know, the King James Version says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But I love this statement, this sentiment of boldness. God has saved me from my sin. He saved me from myself, from my stupidity, from my arrogance. He has redeemed me and made me into something of extreme worth where there was no worth to be found before. And this should prompt me to speak in front of God and everyone else about how awesome my Savior is. He's watching over me. I'm safe in his hands. What's the worst that could happen to me, right? Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? John 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, nor shall anyone snatch them from my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. This kind of security, this kind of safety, the safety of the Father's hands should give us the boldness to speak in the sight of God and Christ. We are to proclaim the word, the gospel message of Jesus Christ with sincerity, with confidence of knowing that we are sent by God and when the full realization That God is watching over us when we're doing it. This should be our method of ministry. I'll give you a little peek into some of the strange conversations that me and my family have. Um, We were coming, this actually just happened yesterday. We were coming home from a sandwich shop yesterday. And uh, we got to talking about this unusual sign in the window. And it said, free smells. And so for those of you who are familiar with that restaurant, uh, I won't name it, but uh, you know where it is. So uh, after joking about all the different ways that we could inquire about the free smells, uh, the question came around to how much would you really pay just to smell something? Nothing else. You just go in, you pay your fee, you take a whiff, maybe like a deep inhale, depending on how much you paid, I guess. And then you go home. How many of you would pay for that? Like, no one, right? I wouldn't pay for that. Free smells are the only smells I'm interested in, right? Some of those I'm not interested in. But free smell, I'm not one to pay for that, right? But then that prompted another question. You know, if, if we're not going to go somewhere and pay for smells, what about cologne and, and perfume? If we wouldn't pay to go smell something, why don't we pay so much to smell like something? But we do. I did a, a quick, quick Google search, and uh, statistics say in 2020, Americans alone spent upwards of $850 million on fragrances. $850 million on fragrances. And the most baffling part of this statistic to me is this is during a global pandemic. Half the people are at home. They spent $850 million on fragrances. What if we were to put even half 
of that effort, of that investment into smelling like Jesus, into becoming the aroma of life leading to life, into becoming to God the fragrance of Christ to all around us. You know, Paul puts it a little bit more concisely to the church at Ephesus. He says in Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know, Christ loved us so much that he sacrificed his life for us, even when we didn't deserve it. Smelling like Jesus requires us to sacrifice as well. Not for the sins of the world. Jesus took care of that. He's got that covered. But in service to our Savior. If we look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself, your, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Did you catch what that said? It says your reasonable service. If someone does something extraordinary, like out of the norm, they exceed expectations, they go above and beyond, would you say, oh, that's reasonable? Oh, that's not your response. Our entire selves, everything we have, a living sacrifice is the reasonable it's the logical response to what Christ has done for us. It's quite literally the least that we can do. All of us is the least that we can do. So you want to know what Jesus smells like? This, this is it. He smells like love. He smells like a selfless offering and a sacrifice. A sweet, sweet smell to the Father. Do you want to smell like Jesus? You should. We should also be careful that we're not just peddlers of the word. We're not simply going through the motions. Uh, we're not trying to push this inferior product that we don't really believe in ourselves just for some sort of personal gain. We should be passionate about the gospel in its purest form. We want to offer the name brand Jesus, right? The one and only. He has commissioned us to be his brand ambassador. However, he doesn't ask us to do that alone. He has promised that he will be there with us. Sincere, sent, and seen. It smells like Jesus. Jesus.